0: welcome to the communicate for good podcast where leaders on a mission to make the world a better place come to talk and learn about how communication language and words can help increase awareness revenue and impact with less stress and more joy i'm your host erica mills barnhart and i'm so excited you're here with me let's dive right in Welcome to or welcome back to the Communicate for Good podcast. I am so glad you're here because joining me today is Lindsay Peterson. I have had the great good fortune to know Lindsay for quite a long time. And so she and I, I feel like had a a long, ongoing, off and on again conversation about exactly what we're going to talk about on this episode, which is brand strategy and brands. And then of course, how that relates to making the world a better place. So a little bit about Lindsay. Um, Lindsay is a brand strategist, and she's the author of the best-selling book, Forging an Ironclad Brand. Known for her methodical framework-driven approach to brand building, Lindsay has advised companies from burgeoning startups to national corporations, both B2C and B2B, including Zulily, Starbucks, IMDB, and Duolingo. I just like the way that sounds. I'm sure that's not how I'm supposed to say that, but Duolingo, I'm going to keep saying it. Her background as a P&L owner at Clorox fostered in Lindsay a deep appreciation for using brand as a North Star for increasing the company's value. She arms leaders with an empowering understanding of brand and an ironclad brand strategy so they can grow their business with intention, clarity, and focus. And who the heck doesn't want intention, clarity, and focus? I don't know. I'm like, no, I'm a hard pass on clarity and focus and the intention, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> so I love this. And I love that you're here, Lindsay. Thanks for taking time to be on the show.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Erica. So good to be here with you. So that was the like,
0: officialized version. Can you share with listeners, like the, I I always heard it as kind of the color commentary, like, there's so many different paths we all take at different moments in life. What, what invited you to walk down the brand brand strategy path?
1: Ooh. Oh, I love that. Okay. Well, probably, this is something that could take me six hours or or six seconds. So I'll I'll be quick. Somewhere in between. I mean, six seconds okay. seems okay. perfectly reasonable. <laughs> okay. okay. I started becoming interested in brand well before I became a brand strategy consultant. So during business school, and I was like an undergraduate, I was a liberal arts major. I didn't know anything about business really at all. And when I I went into I was in management consulting after college, which is very kind of a generalist crash course in business, but I still was like, ah, I'm not, nothing here is what I want to spend a lot of my life force directed at. And so in business school, I maybe from the very beginning, I learned about marketing. And having been a psychology undergraduate student. I found that marketing was like basically psychology inside the context of a business and inside the context of the people that your business is serving. And it just lit me up very early. I spent a number of years at Clorox, as you mentioned, in brand management, where marketing products that are very kind of parody products with the others in their space, you know, Casey Masterpiece, barbecue sauce is really similar to craft barbecue sauce and Clorox bleach is really similar to private label bleach. And so having a brand that distinguished our business, our proposition to the customer from our peers was how we had a non-commoditized business. It was how we had a business that was vibrant. So I really loved the kind of the Getting inside the head of the customer to understand, like, what is the kind of relationship that they want with our business? That really lit me up. And I left Clorox more because I wanted to be a consultant. I wanted to work with a variety of companies than because there was anything wrong with Clorox. And found that this discipline of building brands in kind of a scientific way, in a really like pressure tested way was something that industries beyond consumer products could really benefit from because it's a, it's just such a powerful tool. So that's what I've been doing, um, working with CEOs in particular of businesses that want a purpose to guide the durability of their business. And they want the market powers to reinforce that. So they don't just want a feel good purpose, they want something an idea that's going to perpetuate that purpose with demand from the customer. So that's kind of that was my way in and now I as you mentioned, I have a framework, I've kind of kind of this methodology that I use with all of my clients to build that and it's very influenced by my time in consumer packaged goods and it's all about unlocking the market power and also kind of the customer love that comes from nailing a need that they have and that that then creates this virtuous cycle with the business because the customer loves the business and is loyal to the business and then the business is able to serve better and innovate and improve based on that mutually good relationship so under six hours over six seconds, how am I doing? You're doing great. You're doing great.. <laughs> Good. Yeah.
0: so I just think it's fun to hear, like for you, you found psychology and then you found marketing. It's like, what's the bunny trail and the breadcrumbs that like kept you? And then eventually getting to this place of like, that lights me up. I think that that's really interesting. and you you were mentioning the um sort of liking the challenge of finding, the purpose, I don't know your experience with this, and you do much more in brand strategy. I've done a lot in this, but you know, I, we sort of work in corollary spaces. It's kind of like a needle in the haystack, but when you find it, you're like, oh, there it is. That's the thing. Like, there's so much, there's like this energetic spark.
1: It's like, that's the thing. A hundred percent. I love that. Yeah. It's so it's so energizing to everybody when you can, you can use that needle to kind of govern all of the decisions that you're making across the business, how you communicate it, how you, how you innovate it, how you price for it, how you go to market, all of those things governed by a single idea is so gratifying for everybody involved. For sure.
0: And it keeps, I mean, there is a, the word efficiency is fraught, but it it's efficient. And there's like a, I don't have to wonder thing um, for employees and, and volunteers in the nonprofit space and definitely boards. And that is a gift that like, well, clearly we wouldn't, because it's easy, no's, easy yeses. When you get to that level of clarity, I feel like.
1: Yeah, I think I, I agree. There's the word of efficient is kind of bloodless. Mm-hmm. And yet that it's like, you think what's the opposite of having crystal clarity. And it's a lot of times my CEO clients call it spray and pray. Yeah. Like, Okay, I'm going to put the I'm going to put all of this out there and see what sticks. The problem is that that's expensive. Both in terms of what you're spending money on. You're spending money on five things instead of one thing. Mm-hmm. It's also expensive in terms of employee engagement and and customer engagement. It it erodes trust from the customer when you show up as five different things. Yeah. So it's it is inefficient in yeah. both of In both a kind of bloodless, you know, bottom line way, but also in a human way.
0: Yeah. And just to make sure that it's clear to listeners, yes, sometimes you want to A B test or A B C D test, or that's different than we're going to just show up differently. We're going to consistently show up differently rather than like we're going to run a few horses, figure out which one is best for us, and then we're just running that horse.
1: 100%. There's a time and a place for A B testing. And it's, I think that. A-B testing copy in a surgical way is a smart thing to do, but you don't A-B test your brand. That's like A-B testing your marriage, right? Like, no, if, like you, decide, you make a decision top down that this is what we're going to be about. And then A-B testing with copy and sometimes even with product can be a way of refining the way that that shows up, but you're not changing your heart and soul depending on the results of an a B test you're you're merely um adjusting and attuning with what is most resonating at that level but you don't go all the way back to the heart and soul of the company to a B test that would sort of defeat de- defeat that soulful purpose
0: and that and that like moment of like that's us and that deep knowing I mean I think one, one way that sometimes I help clients understand that is, I mean, I love your marriage example or, you know, any any significant relationship, yeah. right? You don't, well, m- maybe some people do. But once you're like to the like all in, right, uh, moment, that's a little different. But it's also like when I work with leaders around communication, we're going to talk about personal brand. And I think it's a great activity to sort of ask the folks that know you, like, what are three adjectives that you use to describe me? Because it gives you information. And then it is your choice to decide which three adjectives you feel like you want to own and live into and show up consistently embodying that. That's not somebody else's call to make. Um, So I feel like there's, you know, some some similarities as there are so many times between sort of this idea of individual brands and brand strategy and then at the organizational level. Do you have for listeners who are like, I'm still a little confused? I think brand, you know, maybe they're talking about the logo or the website or what the what would. Do you have an example that maybe you can offer? I mean, you could use your business because you do have a lovely exemplar of brand strategy and have enough. I was telling Lindsay before we started, I was just perusing her website and was like, I'm just so dazzled by the clarity this is what I want for anyone and everyone who wants to make the world a better place. Like look at Lindsay's website and you, I mean, you can feel it. It's visceral for me.
1: At least it was Such visceral. A compliment, Erica. Thank you.
0: Yeah. I Thank mean, you. it's, I was just like, and this, 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 this clear what she does, clear what she doesn't do. So you don't have to use ironclad brand. I'm curious if you used your methodical framework driven approach when you were developing,
1: cause you've evolved your brand over time. Sure. I mean, yeah, some to some, not as well as I could. I'm not, I, had, I did not use my framework as well as I could have. Pobler's children, to some extent, but um, I think it does. To your, to your question, the word brand actually requires a little bit of explanation so that we don't go in a totally different directions. So, brand is what your company stands for in the mind of your audience. It's like the real estate of your audience's brain that is you. It's what you stand for. It's what you what your meaning is to your audience. And brand strategy is the deliberate exercise of deciding what you want that meaning to be. So brand is what you stand for. Brand strategy is deciding what you're going to stand for. And sometimes the word positioning is, is more useful here, depending on what baggage people have about the word brand. It's simply the, you know, with humility, deciding what is it that only you do the way that you do it that solves a meaningful need among your audience. That's the brand. So let's use Volvo. Volvo's brand promise, which is the crux of the brand strategy, Volvo's brand promise is safety, right? So if you talk to people out gosh i mean all around the globe if i say volvo somebody says some permutation of the word safe safety safer safe driving um that's their that's their meaning they've done a really good job of reinforcing that and how do i know they've done a good job of it because when i say volvo i get the i get the same answer every time
0: um, yeah i feel if we were doing call and response it would be like, I say Volvo, you say, almost everyone's going to say safety without prompting. Yes. yes. Just if we're to say, response. I
1: say Volvo, yes. you say safety,
0: Volvo, safety, Volvo, safety. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
1: Totally, totally. Whereas if I say General Motors, I bet you don't get as crisp or as singular of a word as Volvo, as, as safety is for Volvo. So that is the hallmark of a... A value creating brand is that it's very sharp, that that space inside the head of the audience is really specific and well-defined because then your business can, I mean, there are so many things that come out of that clarity of Volvo Equal Safety. To our earlier discussion about efficiency, you don't have five messages, you have one. Also about efficiency, From a, now we're getting away from communication, but in terms of product, you don't have a race car or a motorcycle, or, but you might be able to go into things beyond auto. You might be able to go into car seat, baby car seats, but you know not to make expensive and demoralizing mistakes by deviating from the thing that you stand for. So it's efficient and um, creates this kind of good magnetic quality where the the people who want safety are coming and the people who don't want safety or want something other than safety more than they want safety are not coming. And then that sharpness becomes a really rich interchange. So that's kind of like, what do we mean by a really crystal clear North Star of a brand? Is there something really specific that the customer wants that can enable a larger purpose that Volvo is trying to achieve in the world. I love the
0: Volvo example because it is such a bright light in terms of that's the thing. And I appreciate this distinction between what I what I heard you saying is brand strategy actually is actually the exercise or activities that you do to get to the clarity about your brand. You've done some work for Starbucks, yeah. which is also, you know, a darling, especially among those of us who teach. <laughs> sure. We're always looking for like, you know... Great examples. What do you think the call and response would be these days for Starbucks?
1: Gosh, I don't know. I want to know what you think.
0: You know, I still think it would be coffee.
1: Yeah.
0: Starbucks coffee, Starbucks coffee. But they have so many different things. And I remember that, you know, hearing about when they first, a long time ago, before they had many food items, they tried soup.
1: And oh, it, wow. And that is a,
0: that's an that oldie but goodie. Rem- I mean, this is a long time ago, people, Yeah, long, long time ago. And they shut it down really quickly because it competed with the smell of the coffee. Yep. This is so odiferous, right? Right. I don't think it would be coffee, but I do wonder if their brand hasn't lost a bit of its crispness with just the sheer volume of growth and expansion and all the rest of that.
1: I don't know. Yeah, and to be really fair, to be a, a I think fifteen billion dollar yeah. company, you know, to be a, to have such a uh, plurality of target audiences, yes, it's a global yes. brand. It's it's very difficult to do that, and and in some ways, like I love I love the Starbucks brand as a consumer and as a student of brand. And I also sometimes prefer that people think of brands that are a little bit more humble than Starbucks. Just think of what's the brand of the mom and pop coffee shop down the street from you because most businesses on earth are not Starbucks, but all businesses have a brand. It might not be a good brand, but all businesses, just like all people have reputations, all businesses have brands. It's merely a question of, did you consciously decide what you want it to be? and then abide by that? Or did you let the market do that work for you? You know, passively, mm. it's like, you know, the, the phrase is position or be positioned. Mm-hmm. So, and when you have a lot of, if you're Starbucks, the other thing is you have the benefit of a lot of money. So, and I could say this about, say, ATT, which is, I think, not a beloved brand, but it's one that has a lot of money. So they can kind of churn through by just by spending $400 million a year on TV media alone, they can have a recognized brand that actually has a little bit of value because people know it. So most businesses and most organizations don't have the ability to cover a poor brand with a lot of money like ATT does and to a lesser extent with Starbucks. So I feel like that that's I, I encourage people to think almost more like something closer to their own, like the the challenges of their own business. Mm-hmm. What are some businesses that are doing it well? Because in a way, that's harder. Oh, it's definitely harder. It's so much harder. I mean, in some ways, also, by the way, this is like another rationale for brand strategy is that when you have a singular idea because it's efficient, as we were talking about earlier, you can have a smaller marketing budget to affect the same result as a large marketing budget with a non-focused brand. So think about, think about places, you know, mom and pop mechanic shop, what's their brand? How are they doing that? And uh, because they don't have the money or the notoriety that a publicly traded company does to sort of use the momentum of that for creating awareness and interest.
0: So there is a mechanic shop, not far from where I live. And I'm waiting for something to happen with my car at this point, which won't take long because it's 2004. Um, but I, w- I want to take it there because they have reader board, each side of the reader board, they always have hilarious quotes. Oh, of course, it. I noticed the one recently that was, I have issues with elevator pitches on every level. <laughs> you know, they're dad jokes. This is like deeply into dad joke territory, I would say, but I'm like, I have a feeling yes, about what my experience would be. And we'll, I mean, we'll see if it plays out, but also not far from, for me as well. There's a gas station. You will know this gas station, Lindsay, the one on the corner of 25th and you know say, yeah. but it, right, not far away. So and this turned over ownership some a couple of years ago or something. And they also have a reader board, but on one side, it's like dad joke. And on the other, it's like inspirational quote. I didn't know about the
1: other side because oh, I tend to sides. take a different route when I'm coming that direction. Oh, and I'm this is, okay. So listeners, gas is ridiculously expensive. This is one of,
0: this is going to be in Seattle, one of the most ridiculously expensive places just because of where it is. And I'm like, well, if I have to go to the ridiculously expensive spot, now I go there. Because, I mean, it's such a little thing. But I think in both of those instances, the feel is different. And they're quotes. They're inspirational quotes. Like, I, If I'm being fully honest, there was one that hit me in a moment, and I burst into tears. I am driving past. I read this quote. I burst into tears. I have a little moment of like, wow, Erica, maybe you need to do some journaling and unpacking of that. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm driving. I'm gonna cry. You know? and I'm like, Ooh, it stuck with me, you know. Yeah. And I think it's interesting to sort of connect the dots on that one. Like, what's their idea behind doing that? A clear, the the, the first example to me feels much more like, oh, brand got it. Dad jokes, very consistent. This one almost confuses me a little bit because it's like dad jokes, inspirational quote. So I'm curious if they if they if they just like doing it and you know it's two people own it, and you know, one person's like inspirational quote. The other was like, I
1: don't know. I have no idea. Could be could be their A B testing, and you and I are just part of their grand experiment.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's totally true. Maybe I need to go in and say inspirational quotes, please, because that really was significant to me in that moment. I want to come back to your point about like the more clarity, the more laser focus, the smaller your budget can be for marketing, because many listeners of this show do not have massive budgets. I find, and I'm curious if you have experienced this, I find that with some of my clients who all want to make the world a better place, this is the consistent thread, that sometimes there's like a resistance to saying, this is the thing. This is the one thing. This is the North star because they, there's this concern that that won't like, it won't appeal to enough people. Like it feels mm-hmm. like a trust fall. Like it's a little counterintuitive. And I'm just wondering if you experienced that and if you can sort of help
1: assuage those yes, concerns as they're coming up. Totally. This is such a, maybe even universal source of angst. And I think I had an epiphany somewhat recently that there's actually confusion about what the question even is when deciding this that i just wrote a blog post about this i think it might even have been yesterday that there's there's two questions one is who is your target and then the other is who is your tam who is the total addressable market okay so what another so let that? me so yeah let me say more so who possibly could buy this and who are we optimizing for? Those are two different questions. So the, the question of really like very early on when thinking about brand strategy and possibly even purpose statement, you're answering the question, who's the target? Who are we? Who's the sweet spot here? Who are we optimizing for? And that's when I run into a lot of squirming. But there's a lot of people that we, there's a lot of types of people that we serve. and So, but that wasn't the question. The question wasn't who are the types of people that we serve, who possibly could be a customer. The question was, who is our sweet spot customer? Who are we optimizing for? Who do we bring disproportionate goodness? And who brings us disproportionate goodness? I love that expression, disproportionate goodness. That's
0: a good litmus, disproportionate goodness.
1: Right. Because the, so here, here's an example. Okay. So I last summer was in the market to purchase a sleeping bag. I am not much of a camper. I rarely camp. And when I do it's in my backyard with my kids um, with like a cup of coffee, 30 feet away and running water. So I'm not a camping enthusiast, but I was in the market for a sleeping bag. So I'm not the target audience for REI, right? Their target audience is the person who gets disproportionate value from the thing that they alone bring, which is expertise, knowledge around camping. So the camping enthusiast would be their target audience, but I would be in their market. And by the way, I'm pro- if I googled sleeping bag and REI came up. I'm very. I'm not like, oh, well, they only go. They're only for camping enthusiasts. Actually, it's the opposite. I'm really psyched to buy a sleeping bag from a company that's not serving me disproportionately, but is serving who's serving the person who actually camps a lot and is discerning about sleeping bags. So the question isn't just like, oh, like we're going to turn away all audiences that don't fall into the sweet spot that distinction can really kind of liberate you to then say, okay, yeah, we are going to sell sleeping bags to Lindsay. But that's not the answer to the question, who are we optimizing for? Who are we optimizing for? Who gets disproportionate goodness from what we alone bring?
0: Is it fair to think about this from the perspective of like, in what type of customer or client or donor, are we going to invest, strategically invest resources
1: so that we attract them? Yes. In fact, in some ways, that's that's like the definition of, of a target customer to me is like, who's the person that's worth us being in existence yeah. as a company or as an organization? That's and who we're going to invest us in. Yeah.
0: Investing our scarce resources in attracting them. I love it when I learn a new phrase. I've never heard the expression, TAM. See, this is, I didn't go right to biz here, school and there's Damn. moments where I'm like, I didn't go to biz school and I still get to learn all these things, even though I've been doing this for forever. You have this term, which I love called the uncommon denominator.
1: Mm. And I'm wondering yeah. if you can
0: speak to that.
1: Yes. Okay. So the, basically what an uncommon denominator mean is what is a position of a promise that you own and that only you own. And that your customer wants. So when we're thinking about brand, oftentimes we come and we're thinking about what are the benefits that we bring? what are what are the great things that we bring to our audience? And you come up with things that you're really, really proud of, but that everybody in your category does. So if you're a lemonade brand and you're so proud that you quench thirst really effectively, that's great. You should be proud of that but that's called being lemonade. It's not differentiated because by definition, you better quench thirst if you're lemonade. So that's not, that's what I call the common denominator. So all lemonade brands bring that benefit. The problem is that most people, when they're building their brand strategy, stop there. And you can't stop there if you want to attract a disproportionate amount of your right people to your business. You have to go to something that you alone bring. So the uncommon denominator is the overlap of what your customer really wants, what you're really good at bringing that customer, and what your competitive set or your peers are not good at bringing that person. So that's the uncommon denominator. The reason it's important is that it's, it's the same reason that brand brings economic value to a business. It's all about differentiation. A business that is... Only competing on price is a commodity. And a commodity is not something you want if you want to be around for a long time as a business. You don't have any pricing power. So, by owning something that's distinctive from the other options that your customer has, you get the conversation away from the lowest price player to something that is larger and more meaningful to them. But if you don't own it, if everybody in your category brings that, then every time you talk about it, you might be generating demand for your whole category, not just for you, which is fine, especially if you're the number one player. If you're Minute Maid Lemonade, maybe it's okay to talk about thirst quenching. But if you're, again, like a mom and pop or you have a smaller budget, you have to lean into something that only you bring in order to attract people.
0: This is so important for nonprofits, especially nonprofits, foundations, And I would say community foundations sort of have their like unique challenges. I think this is really, really important to sort of get comfy with is being the uncommon denominator. So like if I think about animal shelters, everyone's protecting the puppies and the whatnotness, right? And that's great. But like, why would I give money to you? Why would I volunteer with you? Maybe it's proximity. Maybe it's, you know, you protect them in a very specific way. I don't know what, you know, it's going to be all these different things. But I, I couldn't agree with you more that there is a stopping at the common denominator. And I wonder if this... I, I wonder, I, you know, I'm always curious about like from a psychology perspective, wh- what prevents people? Where does the resistance come from saying, like, no, that's the thing? And I think for so many folks in the social sector, it feels like braggy. You know, mm. I offer the reframe of like, it's actually a kindness. Like, it's compassionate to make mm. it, to make what you do in your unique way so clear that people don't have to think about it because we don't want to think really, we have so (laughs) many things, you know, that are going on. I don't want to have to figure out between XYZ or ABC Animal Shelter, like who, but I actually, today, yesterday, yesterday was Give Big in Seattle, right? And so there's this onslaught of um, emails uh, from nonprofits. And every year, I'm like tracking just the subject lines to take a look to see what they do. And I'm just always done. they're they're almost verbatim. Every single one is almost the same. And it's such a missed opportunity. So the, and I understand where it comes from, right? Like that feels scary. I think differentiation, we are tribal. We want to belong. So we're actually asking people or recommending that you do something that in some ways is is initially antithetical to our tribal nature. And I think that the trust bit is like, yeah, but on the other side, you're
1: with your people. Yes, 1000%. I think, and I would love to know what an actual psychologist would say about this, because I could armchair it as long as you want. But I think, um, I actually think that there might be a, a semantic confusion that it's because it's not one or the other. It's not like, okay, so say the lemonade brand leans into the fact that they use lemons from a certain orchard. love it right that's their de- that's their uncommon denominator. They don't stop quenching thirst because their lemons come up a- from a certain orchard. It actually reinforces their ability to deliver on thirst quenching on the common de- denominator. the they're not, it's not either, or it's both. And if they're constructed, well, they're in service of one another.
0: It's sort of like, of course we do this and we do this. Yeah. I love that
1: to listeners who, who have the same tension with, with these two things to think, to sort of embrace both as a way to achieve the purpose. I mean, that's brand stra- The brand is really there as a, not because it feels good, but because it's a mechanism that enables you to better deliver on your purpose. And if they are constructed well, like this, they will do that. And then you don't have to choose. It's actually the same. It's actually the same thing, just a different doorway in. I also think to the remark you made about people don't want to think that's really true.
0: I mean, we want to think, but like the the decision fatigue, and I just don't think we can count
1: on it. I think, yeah, I think that sometimes when we're, especially when we're really proud of our our business and our product, we forget that most people actually don't care about your business, or your product. They (laughs) care about something going on in their life that you might be able to solve for them. And some source of pain, some sorts of source of heartache that they have, the reason they care about you is because of that, not because of, well, it might be because of the exact same thing that you're in this business to do, but just keep that in sight. Yeah, yeah. because People don't want to have to connect the dots for you. They want you to do that. And, and maybe like put another way, the more that you connect the dots for them, the more likely they are to pay attention to you, to give use some of their scarce, their most scarce resource, which is attention. It's actually the kind thing to do, as you said, it's kind of the humble thing to do, to recognize that there's something that you're really good at that not everybody is really good at. That's actually an exercise in humility. Like we're not good at everything, but we're really good at this one thing.
0: Oh, I love that reframe, Lindsay. I love that. That's really helpful. Uh, I wasn't kidding listeners like Lindsay and I've been talking about this stuff for a long time. And one of the things I love about being in conversation with you, Lindsay, is that like just then and with the Tam, like I'm always learning from you. And I just I'm so appreciative of that. Is there anything I didn't ask so that you could answer so that, you know, that you're like, oh, we click we're done. And you're like, I wish I had said Any anything. Oh,
1: gosh. Oh, I could I could talk to you for hours about this, Erica. And same thing. I always learn so much from you when we talk. I think well maybe what I'll what I'll say and it's kind of encapsulates a lot of the strings of our discussion is that brand and brand strategy are simply tools. It's a tool to achieve clarity. It's not in and of itself. You don't have to use it. It's just that in not using it you're foregoing a really empowering and clarifying Tool, And you can use that tool. You can apply that to basically any setting. You can apply it to a mom and pop shop. You can apply it to Starbucks. You can apply it to a nonprofit. You can apply it to yourself as an individual if you want. And it's nothing to be like kind of mystified by. It's a tool. And I think that sometimes it does have brand is sort of shrouded in mystique mm-hmm. as like this neat thing that like creative people do. No, it's actually a really basic and essential concept of how to show up as different and as what is really your truth as a business. It's a it's a method. For arriving at that, if it feels nebulous, brand strategy is just a way to achieve that clarity. It's nothing more and nothing less than that. So don't be afraid of it. Just like let it work for you. Thank you. That like brings it down because I do. It's like it's shrouded
0: in mystery. It's like ephemeral, like Bread. Yeah. And, like it's just going right. to disappear. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> or like I can't touch it. I can't feel. It. It's like a squishy, squishy thing or something. If people want to connect with you, where would you like, where and how would you like them to reach
1: out? Oh, thank you. And this has been such a fun conversation. I am active on LinkedIn, Lindsay Peterson, P-E-D-E-R-S-E-N.
0: Yeah, yeah, it'll be in the show notes.
1: Okay, good. Ironcladbrandstrategy.com is my website. I have a monthly newsletter and I mostly write about leadership and brand and brand as a tool for leaders. And I would love to stay in touch with your listeners that way.
0: That sounds fantastic. And listeners, if you do want an example of sort of all of this in action, I definitely encourage you to go to Lindsay's website, which is cleverly (laughs) (laughs) ironcladbrandstrategy.com and check it out. All right, listeners, thanks for being with us. Do good, be well, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Communicate for Good podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would so appreciate it if you would right here, right now, go rate and review the podcast. Your review will help even more purpose-driven leaders, teams, and organizations learn how to use words to change the world. To find more ways that communication can help you increase awareness, revenue, and impact, Head on over to ww.claxen.communication